Thank you for leading worship. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Um, Jimacy, near man, Jess Hall. Oh, I've got in really in control of that language, I can tell you. Um, I have to remember when you go to church, you have to say Jimacy, because the general greeting is uh, Namaste, but that means I bow to the God in you, uh, which we as Christians don't quite do. So, um, But if you don't know, my name's Jez. Um, I've recently come back, came back on Friday from Nepal because my number two son uh, is out there right now um, uh, with his wife and our four or four of our grandchildren, so I uh, went to visit them and had a, a wonderful time with them. Um, just to report back, they are doing uh, incredibly well. They're all very healthy and well um, and great fun. Um, and I, it was nice for me to spend some time, particularly with Boaz, who of all the gro grandchildren I know the least, um, and he is a character, my word. I've never met a child with more energy more creative ways of he has this fascination with emptying things um and hannah spends her whole life just sweeping up um but he's a lovely he sits next to you and he looks at you and smiles and it actually breaks your heart um but they are doing really well really adapting well to the culture um, I'll talk a bit more really, I'm preaching in a couple of weeks, I'll tell you a bit more about them, but um, I think particularly for Sam, uh, since he went back in February, um, lots of ministry opportunities have really opened up for him. Um, he's sort of scattered all over the country, um, speaking to different groups, and his real passion is to disciple the pastors out there. Um, it's interesting because when you, I, I, I had the privilege of speaking at the last two Sundays in the Sam that church is supporting. So, um, and when you're in there, um, you've got all the women sat on the floor on the right hand side, and all the men sat on the floor on the left hand side, and the the numbers of women as opposed to men is significantly greater than women. And that's not because there's more female believers. It's just that all the men have gone out to. India and Dubai and other countries to try and find employment um, and they're away for huge lengths of time sending money back and I get a bit worried about that I wonder about all those young um, boys growing up without a role model of a father um, what that will do to Nepal as a country in the long term um, but it's interesting because it's affected the church as well because many of the pastors are both fathers and husbands first and then pastors and so they have to do the same and they go to India and whatever and what it means is that the leadership of the churches is given over to very very young men um, and Sam's passion is really to get out to those churches and to help and to disciple and to encourage them and um, he recently was at a pastor's conference and um, you know, when he was telling me the things that he was teaching, you would have thought that he was teaching a Sunday school or a youth rally because the stuff that he was teaching was so basic. Um, and then you think, wow, these guys are pastors and they're leading churches. And so they need a lot of help and support. So Sam really is getting into that kind of thing, going all over the place. Um, but it is challenging. And one of the challenges is just the financial challenge because it's not like this... 
you know, in, in Europe or in this country where if you get an invitation to speak somewhere, usually you are likely to have your costs met by the people that are inviting you. That doesn't happen in Nepal. They invite you and then you have to get yourself there and, you know, and support yourself. So um, it's quite flattering that you're getting all these opportunities, but it comes at a great cost. Um, so that's a, a challenge. Um, at the minute, he's in a, a place called Pokhara. We had the privilege last time of going there. It's a beautiful uh, town. And I was really excited because we stayed in a really small hotel, but it was the most beautiful hotel you could imagine. I mean, it, it, honestly, it's dirt cheap, and yet it's beautiful. I've never seen as many staff in a hotel ever in my life. You, you go down for breakfast, and there's, a, there's loads of them. And each one of them would take off your grandchildren and walk them around the gardens while you had breakfast. It was wonderful. So so when I heard that he was going to Pokhara, you know, I said, here's some money, take your family to that hotel. Um, and then he just sent me one back and said, it, Barchi, it wasn't quite where we thought it was. And they'd already got accommodation for us. And he said, Dad, it's, uh, it's made out of a tin. It's got a tin roof, tin huts, and you should see the bugs. They're absolutely massive. And just before I came here, um, he sent me a... I mean, why, I'll show you it, but not that you want to look at it, but why my son would do this, I don't know. But he he sent me some pictures. of a, It starts off with a really beautiful white goat, just looking really lovely and healthy. Um, and that he sends me some pictures of the slaughtering of this goat and the skinning of the goat and then the internal organs laid on the floor with a caption, dinner. Uh, and I sent him one back saying, yum. Um, <laughs> but um, he's, you know, he's experiencing all kinds of things. Um, Hannah's amazing um, because that would freak out so many people, but you can guarantee Hannah will be eating with the best of them and just enjoying it. So she's a perfect missionary wife because rather than being freaked out by the circumstances in which she finds herself and where most of us would turn up our nose at, at what's going on uh, Hannah just loves it and embraces it and she's she's fantastic um, so the big challenge at the minute is when he comes back on Tuesday he has enrolled at Kathmandu University to do a, a Nepali language course um, although his language is is fantastic you, you know for somebody that's been there nine months, people think he's been there 10 years because he really immerses himself in the language. He's gifted anyway at languages, um, but, um, but it makes such a difference. When he, when he gets in a taxi and he talks to the taxi driver, you can just see them thinking, thank you for having the courtesy to learn my language. Um, and, you know, Nepal is really heavy on respect. Um, you know, I was invited, because I've been preaching at this church twice, I was invited to be the chief guest at a wedding. I mean, really? Um, I didn't have any wedding clothes at all. And I tell you what, if ever you need a motivation to lose weight, try and buy a large shirt in Nepal. You know, someone I would walk into a shop and he would say in Nepali, um, well, you do sell shirts. Can you you know, fit my dad with a shirt, and they would just go, no. And then they would turn and laugh at each other. 
I was like, wow, it's a good job my self-esteem's pretty strong, because, you know, it's one thing to say, no, we can't sell you a shirt, but another thing to laugh at me. Um, and we went endlessly around so many shops, and eventually um, I had to spend a whole £12 and get a tailor to uh, tailor me a shirt. Um, Wide-fitting, sir? Yes, very wide. Thank you. Um, so I have come back motivated to lose a bit of work because I can't bear the thought of going back and being laughed at. Uh, do you reckon? Um, I don't think it... I'll lend it to you, Jack. You can have it. Um, but it, it is, um, uh, you know, the whole culture is one of, of, of respect and... Um, you know, it is a, a, a place where Sam has really uh, immersed himself. And as I say, I think the greatest uh, respect, and I think this is a real sad thing, there's a, a lot of missionaries in Nepal and in Kathmandu, and some of them being five years and ten years, and speak the most basic language. And, and to me, that's the greatest sign of disrespect to a community in which you're you know, living personally. Um, but Sam's doing well, He come, but he, when he comes back on Tuesday, the gap between his visa finishing and when his new visa starts as a student, uh, there is a gap, and so we're just praying that they won't insist that he leaves the country. We think they might do, so he's going to have to fly out to India for 10 or 14 days um, and then return. So we're just praying that um, they'll allow him to pay the cost and, and to stay over that time. Um, but um, But they are doing really well and very happy and very um, just, you know, exploring what God's got for them there. So so thank you for your prayers. I know they really appreciate it. Um, and I think they really appreciate the um, the backing that they get from from us as a, as a church as well. So let's have a look at Judges chapter um, 6 and look at this um, character called Gideon. I was quite keen to choose Gideon really because my seventh grandson is called Gideon um, and that, so I thought I knew a bit about Gideon beforehand but when I first learned that they were going to call him Gideon I'm thinking isn't he the guy that hides all the time and um, and you're calling my grandson after maybe when he gets older he'll be great at hide and seek but um, I'm not sure how strong that is going to be as you go through life um, but we, we're going to look at um, Judges chapter 6, and I think that I just want to pick up a couple of principles, really, that, that Gideon's wife teaches us. Um, and one principle that Gideon teaches us is that you need to be truthful about yourself, but be careful about what conclusions you make. You need to be truthful about yourself, but be careful about the conclusions you make. And I'm going to look at the importance of a single word called therefore. Um, so that's one principle we're going to look at. And then a second principle is being the majority isn't always God's way. Um, and so we're going to look at it. Now, of course, we know because we've been looking at different um, characters in Judges. We know that this, the context is always the same. Israel is doing evil things, and they're reminded to walk after God. Now, in this particular case with Gideon, um, they were hiding in the mountains. This is how bad things had got. They'd left this, you know, it was a land 
um, of milk and honey. It was a beautiful land, um, but because of their sin, they had to go to the mountains, so they had to abandon this beautiful green part of the country, and they had to hide in mountains because the Midianites were so oppressive. And they were hungry all the time, because every year the Midianites, like big bullies, would come and say, thanks for growing those crops for us, um, and we'll just have them. And they would take all the, uh, the harvest and leave the Israelites with nothing. So let's look at Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to 16, first of all. And it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midians, Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why has all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So the first bit of, of looking at, at Gideon is we find him hiding and that he's uh, threshing wheat in a place where he can't be seen, um, just so he's, he's hiding. And he's, he comes across as this incredibly weak Person. In fact, he tells us, we are the weakest clan in Israel. Um, now, the point that I'm making is that you need to be truthful about yourself, but be careful about what conclusion you make. That may well be truthful. You might be the weakest clan in Israel. That might be the truth. You might be the smallest person in the world that might be the truth you might be the tallest person in the world that might be the truth you might be the most articulate speaker in the world that might be the truth and you might be the shyest most cowering of people that might be the truth but here's the thing with Gideon is that once you've admitted the truth, it's the therefore that is really important. So for Gideon, he was saying, we are the weakest clan, therefore I need God to come through for me and to be strong. And what Gideon found is that despite his weakness, God is going to use him. Now, we often encourage each other to share their faith with people. And often people will say, I am very shy, therefore I cannot share my faith. Now that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. The first part is great, be truthful. You might actually be shy. 
you might actually be the shyest person in the world. I met somebody who claimed that that's what she was as she grew up as a teenager. And I said, well, give me an example. Because if you're saying that you were incredibly shy, because actually she's not very shy now. But if you were shy as a child, give me an example. And the example that she gave me was that she... Every morning when she went to school, she was taken to school by her mum's friend because her mum was working. And so she, she knew this person incredibly well, but could not talk to her. Even though she took her to school every morning, she could not talk to her. And she said, on one occasion, when I went, got into the car, my sister closed the car door on my fingers. And my fingers were trapped in the door and I was so shy I could not tell the driver until I got to school. And I said, that must have been agonising. And she said, it was. But she said, I was so shy I couldn't tell anybody. So I was thinking, do you know what? I might concede that you were a shy teenager given that story um we can be shy and actually to say i am shy i am naturally an introvert is okay if that's the truth but it's the therefore that matters with god because what god doesn't do he doesn't write a sentence like this you are naturally shy therefore i cannot use you we write those sentences, I am naturally shy, therefore I cannot be used by God. But God does not write those sentences. And changing words and phrases is really important. Um, my oldest son Luke works for Asda and they're owned by a big American company called Walmart. And occasionally they'll get big directors from America that'll come over. And there's always a bit of a song and dance when they're over. Um, and sometimes Luke says that they often will say, um, tomorrow I'm going to speak in the auditorium at lunchtime. And if you'd like to come and listen to me, uh, feel free. Uh, and Luke says it's absolutely packed. And I said, really? I said, what, people give up their lunchtime? To hear that he said, because they're just amazing speakers. And one person had really captured Luke's imagination. He was talking about this concept of changing words. And he talked from his own personal experience how he believed, genuinely believed this phrase, I am better than you. That's what he believed. And that's what he thought made him incredibly successful and got him onto the board of Walmart. I am better than you. And then he had this kind of rethink and he decided that he would take out the word than and replace it with the phrase because of. I am better because of you. Rather than I am better than you. And he said just changing that one word to two words changed his whole mindset about how he viewed people. And how he viewed teams and how he encouraged people. It doesn't take much but what's really important is that we draw the right conclusion. It might well be, um, I'm shy and don't have the answers. 
Therefore, I don't share my faith. It might be true that you're shy and don't have the answers, but the therefore has to be different. So why couldn't it be, I'm shy and don't have the answers, therefore, I'm trusting God and I'm prepared to share my faith. You see, you know, it's not a problem being truthful about your weaknesses and your shortcomings. What is a problem is if you don't then give them to God. Because actually what you discover is that your weaknesses are not the barriers to God using you. They're actually the qualification. That's a big thing. Your weaknesses, your shortcomings are not a barrier to God using you. God's not looking at you and thinking, oh, do you know what? I just wish you weren't that shy. I wish you weren't this. God is saying, do you know what? I I understand you. I know who you are. But despite that, I am going to use you. Um, And what we know from the Bible is that when God does that, people stand back and say, isn't that the really shy person that we used to know? And look at them now. How did that happen? And you can only conclude it's God. Because only God can transform people. So weaknesses, our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our failings are not barriers. They're actually our qualifications. Um, And in fact, what you discover is weakness is the prerequisite for effective service. You know, it's actually just that, that weakness is a prerequisite for being effective and being used by God. If you're confident, if you're full of yourself, if you're absolutely certain you can do it, you're not of much interest to God because he can't use those people because what happens is those people get the glory. When God uses you, when God takes a weak vessel, he's glorified and that's God's aspiration. And that's what Gideon did. You know, it's all right, Gideon. Yeah, say that you're weak. Say that you come from the smallest clan. Recognize that you're hiding in the hole, you know, but recognize that God is going to use you. And then secondly, we read in chapter 7, verse 1, this quite remarkable story. I think it is one of the most remarkable stories in the whole of the Bible is that not only does this weak guy decide that he's going to take on the uh, the Midianites, but he feels pretty confident because he's got 32,000 men, soldiers, to go to war. Now, that's a reasonable army in anybody's estimations. Um, But what we discover is that God does something with that number. So let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. That's the point that I've just made. You know, um, now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Now, Gideon's not really a trained general 
or a chain trained warrior, but he's feeling quite good. At least I've got 32,000 men. Then God says, get rid of some. So he's now down to 10,000. Um, but the Lord said in verse 4 to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the other. I mean, this is a, it's a remarkable story. I would have been in the 300. I'm a bring it up and lap rather than get your tongue down. I'd just be worried that a crocodile or something would get me. But um, but I'd definitely be in the in the 300. Um, but if you were a general or if you were um, a leadership guru, would you be advocating? Well, maybe. Um, business people would advocate getting their workforce down from 32,000 to 300. But if you were a general, would you really advocate that as a good strategy? Which general is ever going to say, my army is too big, therefore I am going to reduce it in size to make it a fair fight? No general is ever going to do that. It's absolute lunacy. But this is how God works. He works in a different way. And I'm just thinking for myself, you know, and you think about leadership. What kind of ways would that affect us? Because in the world, the world is preoccupied with things like money and size and power and influence. But here we have the reduction of an army from 32,000 men to 300. And God is doing things differently. And the whole of the Bible has that message about it, that God is doing things differently. That's why he can let a young boy take seven stones and kill a giant. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because God is doing things differently. And the real challenge for us as Christians, um, and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to live different lives. You know, being in the kingdom of God is about being different. Um, and it is about understanding that God is doing things differently. And the challenge for us is we live in a world that operates in a certain way. And some of us think that if we have, are going to live in that world, the best way is to live like people in the world. Now, that's true if you want a relatively easy life, but it's not what Jesus has called us to do and to be. 
He wants us to live in the kingdom and to be different people. And so you have this second principle at work where Gideon is intimating that God is always doing things different and his values are completely different to anybody else's. But Gideon kind of finishes life with great victories, if you like, but sadly kind of finishes with failure as well and pastor phil was talking about that to some extent this morning where you know there is um you know something about us that rises to temptation and that even for gideon who has this glorious life we were looking at david david this glorious life um and this moment of sin with Bathsheba, gideon this glorious life of delivering Israel, Israel living for 40 years in peace, but then this moment towards the end of his life where he just gets it wrong. And let's just finally look at Judges chapter 8 and verse 22 and 23. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you your son and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. So he is presented with this massive temptation. You know, be king. Now Gideon knows that God's plan for Israel always was that God would be their king. Now every other nation around Israel had a visible king, a person of a king. And here's where God expected Israel to be different just like we've been speaking earlier, because he was saying, you will be different in that you will not have a king. You will not have a physical king because I will be your king. Now, later on in the history of Israel, we discover that they say, why can't we be like all the other nations and have a king? And God says, because you're not like other nations, you're Israel. <coughs> You were never intended to have a king other than me. And eventually we discover that, that, that God gives in to or allows them to have what they're asking for. And God says, all right, you want a king, you can have a king. And if you want to be like every other nation, you can be like every other nation. And they choose Saul. And then we get this horrendous history of kings falling after it. But it was never God's intention for Israel to have a king. Because he was always going to be their king. And here Gideon knows that. He knows it. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to be king over you. We, you know, we have to be different. We will be a nation that has God as our king. So well done. You know, he's making good choices um, and doing well. But then we read in Judges chapter 8 and verse 24. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. 
The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, or the chains that were on their camel's necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Now, He's just overcome this massive temptation. He's overcome this this invitation to be king of Israel. And he turns it down. This is a bit more subtle. And this is the nature of sin. And it is the nature of temptation. That often the big temptations we see coming a mile off. And we deal with them. It's the little things that get under our armour. And what it is here is that Gideon wants to be remembered for his great victory. And so what he does, and I don't know why he chooses this, but he gets everybody to take their earrings out, he melts them, and he makes them into an ephod. Now that's the the tunic-type garment that a high priest would wear. And he obviously has it made out of gold and it is incredibly opulent and beautiful and somehow Gideon thinks that when people look at this they will remember the great deliverance that God brought that's what Gideon's intention was I think so you go to his hometown and when you get there you say oh is this where Gideon came from Yes, it is. It's his hometown. And we've got his ephod here. Oh, I'll go and have a look at that. Then that sounds a bit of a local landmark. And you go there and what you find is people bowing down and worshipping a golden ephod. Now, Gideon, I don't think, intended that. I think it was just, I would just like some kind of memorial to myself for what I've done. But when people looked at the ephod, they did not make the link between that and God's deliverance. They just worshipped it in itself. Um, Now, of course, it says that it became a snare. I don't know why it became a snare. There's a simple solution, isn't it? Just destroy the thing. Gideon, just destroy it. You know, there's enough history in Israel now to say that when we see things that are worshipped other than God, we'll destroy them. But he chose not to do it. And that one thing became Gideon's snare. And what what a kind of dangerous thing it is to want that kind of recognition, to want that kind of... um, remembrance i often think this when i when i see names of people on walls and buildings and all that kind of stuff that it appeals to people's um i want to be recognized um so we just need to be careful and if we hear of the pastor philip dyson suite in our new building um we need to recognize that he has lost it completely but Um, But fortunately, we know that that will not be the case. Um, Gideon dies. So in verse 28, it says, Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again during Gideon's lifetime. 
The land had peace 40 years. And then in verse 32, Gideon son of Josh died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Josh in Ophir of the Abizites. And then what happened next? Well, you've read Judges often enough now to know. Look at verse 33. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. And so it's kind of, that's a bit of a cliffhanger. Um, that's for whoever's sort of preaching on that next section. But of course, you can be, it's nice when you go to church, isn't it? Sometimes you don't know what's going to be said. But when you come to Judges, you know exactly what's going to be said. Israel sins, Israel's delivered, Israel sins, Israel's delivered. Um, it repeats itself. But in amongst it all, we find these wonderful deliverers. And Gideon was, you know, overcame his weaknesses, overcame his short fallings, and then did that remarkable thing of overcoming a huge army with 300 men. But then, right at the end of his life, we have that, that moment of folly. And isn't it sad how people can live a life of immense integrity and live a good life and all that is remembered is their moment of folly and their moment of shortcoming. And that's because the implications are massive. The implications for Gideon here was that his behaviour became a snare to the whole of Israel. But there are some lessons to be learned. And I hope, if nothing else, you think about yourself. Um, I would encourage you to self-evaluate, to look at the things that you are not good at, to look at the things that you are good at, but then ask God what he wants to do with them. Because what you might discover is actually he doesn't want to do a great deal with the things that you're good at. But he wants to do a great deal with the things that you're not good at. And that makes it exciting. Um, because when God uses our weaknesses, we have to stand back, don't we? And recognise that, um, that God is a, an immense God that can overcome weaknesses. But please don't think that your weaknesses are barriers to be used by God. Understand they are the qualification and please understand they're actually the prerequisite for you being used effectively by God. So thank you. Um, I don't know if you have a song that you, but you don't have to do. No, that's good. I'll, I'll pray and we'll, we'll finish um, this service. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples and Father God, I am conscious that um, in your word you really do open up the lives, what's and all of people like Gideon, like David. And Father, we thank you for the things that we can learn from them um, and the lessons. And Father, we thank you that um, you took hold of a man like Gideon who was scared, who was hiding, who was weak. And you turned him into a mighty warrior. We thank you, Father, that um, you are not looking for the greatest. 
you are looking for people who come before you in weakness. And actually, Father, what your word tells us is that if we are strong, if we are 32,000, you'll make us 300, because that's when you can use us. So, Father God, I pray that for people in this congregation this evening, that perhaps you would change some of their mindsets, that for those who have a realistic evaluation of themselves, who genuinely know what they're good at and what they're not good at, I pray for those things that they're not good at, that, Father, they wouldn't see those as a, a barrier and see them as a reason not to be used, but they would understand that that's how you want to use them. And just like Gideon, I pray that you would give them courage. I pray that you would enable them to be used in incredible ways. And, Father, we know that in that respect, you are glorified. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the things it can teach us. And for the final warning, Father, we pray that um, you'd help us understand that when we have significant victory, personally, we are at our most vulnerable. And, Father God, I pray that you'd help us see not just the big spears that come from the enemy, but the tiny darts. Because it's often the tiny darts of, of temptation and sin that ruin our lives. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be aware of those things. Um, help us to avoid that sin of, of wanting recognition and wanting to be known and wanting to be remembered. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we might just be happy knowing that we're known by you and that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Father God, I pray that we might just enjoy that and rejoice in it and serve you humbly. Father God, we thank you and pray that you bless us this week as we, as we serve you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stay around. I think it is our custom to have tea. The little door opens and it all appears for us. Um, so stay around and have tea.